Amen. As we're making a switch up here, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I'll be starting to read at verse 6 this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. How's everybody doing? Good? You all still here? We got an hour, extra hour of sleep last night, so I'm even more fired up than usual. <laughs> yeah, some people don't believe that. Just wait. Just you wait. So, uh, as we, uh, as we gather here even now this morning, uh, just a couple things I wanted to highlight. Um, don't always do this, but uh, most of us know Dave Grams. He's, uh, if you didn't get the message, if you're not part of the uh, church prayer request email that goes out on a regular basis, you should be, first of all. So get, put that on your card or uh, let Laura know, but we would like you to get those requests. Dave went into the hospital uh, yesterday, uh, last night actually, uh, with a pulmonary embolism, a uh, couple of them actually, and uh, it was in ICU, and uh, was given some uh, blood thinners through the night, and they're hoping that during the day today he'll be taken off of uh, ICU and moved to a, a regular room. Uh, Amy lets me know that he's not a very good patient. Yeah, he's not a patient patient, uh, He's in, but uh, Dave is there this this morning, so be praying for him and for Amy and uh, the doctors and nurses attending to him. That's a pretty scary thing. It's a pretty serious thing, and so we want to be lifting him up. In addition, uh, Shane Manny and a group of people from Five Stones, they are over uh, seas right now, and they are in doing ministry and really doing ministry and helping uh, persecuted Christians. And so they're right in the middle of it, so we just pray for their safety and God to use them powerfully over there as they are here. Uh, Most of you know that they're there right now, but just be lifting them up this morning as we go to him in prayer. Um, So let's let's do that. Let's pray first, and then we'll we'll read the passage this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for what you're about to do, what you're about to say. Lord, we lift up Dave and Amy, and we lift up uh, all of our brothers and sisters that call Palmyra Grace home that can't be here because of illness, sickness, Uh, injury, whatever it may be, Lord, uh, just ask right now that uh, your spirit would, uh, your presence by your Holy Spirit would just be real to them wherever they are right now. And for those that need healing, Lord, we just ask for your healing power to come upon them. You are the great physician. We cannot do anything apart from you, but we can pray to you and ask you to move. Lord, we also pray for... uh, for Shane and and Janelle and the team from Five Stones that are in the Middle East right now, Lord, just be with them and open up doors where they need to be opened up. And Lord, through their uh, faithfulness to you, we just ask that uh, your gospel and your light would shine bright. Keep them safe and return them to us safely and allow their work there to bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, as we go to your word, I just ask that you would would help me. Uh, Holy Spirit, speak through me. Don't let this be a transfer of information, but Lord, we just ask that through the hearing of your word that you would bring life transformation in the hearts and lives of those gathered here this morning. 
that this time wouldn't be another Sunday, that this would be a day in which because of our faithfulness of gathering here, because of our joy in worshiping you, and because of our attentiveness to what you want to say, that we would leave here changed, and that we would put into practice what we learned this morning, and that you would empower us to do so, that the change in our lives from the inside out would make your, your power, your ability to change hearts and lives, your truth, your gospel, alive to the world that we we're about to meet this week. Lord, we pray that this Sunday influences Monday. Wherever we go this week, that you give us an opportunity to share for the, about the hope that we have in the precious name of Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So if you haven't been here, this is week three of a series called Enough, Enough. It's going through the book of Colossians. And basically just asking the question as we've started out this series, asking the question, what is enough? What is enough? It's a, something we, it's a word we use a lot, and it's a word that surrounds a lot of what distracts us each and every day. Uh, wanting enough, wanting to get enough, uh, am I enough, do we have enough, right? All of this, it's a common word, and the question is, what is enough? So I've been sharing this definition throughout the series. It's the amount sufficient to satisfy a need or requirement, the amount sufficient enough to satisfy a need or requirement. And so the very first thing we talked about, the very first week we said that we need to know that Jesus is enough. Jesus, just Jesus, he himself is enough for all that we need. And he's the source of enough. We talked about that the first week. He is the source. If we seek enough in anything else, we'll never find it. And I, uh, I left this suitcase over there, and I used this suitcase and was talking about all of the things, all of the stresses, all of the realities in our life that, that we put into our daily lives that circle in our heads and our hearts and take our worry and our stress and our energy about making sure we amass enough, we have enough, and asking the question, if Jesus isn't part of that, then we'll never find enough, but how do we make him part of that? And so week two, we talked about that last week. We, we read Colossians 2, it's a or Colossians 1, the second half, it's a beautiful passage about how just preeminent is the word, how much Jesus is first in everything. He's first among the entire world. He was first before all things. He was the firstborn from the dead, the first one. The reason why we can believe in eternal life in him is because he's first. He is the first. Whether we want to admit, if you're not a believer here this morning, what Colossians tells us is whether we even want to believe that Jesus is first, he's not waiting for us to say he's first. He is first. He's waiting for you to realize in your heart and in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit working on your heart that he is first and you would come and surrender to that, that he's first. Because he's first no matter what. And if he's first no matter what, then when it comes to all the things, even the priorities that we worry about enough, we have to ask the question, are we putting him first in those? Because if he's not first even before in front of the important things, they will never be enough. So today we're going to talk about this, again, this idea of enough. You know, I was uh, talking to Jessica the other day about, um, for those of you that don't know about the process, this isn't planned, the process about the, uh, of our adoption that Jessica, I announced a couple months ago, Jessica and I are moving towards adopting uh, a little two-year-old girl from China, and it's going very well, and, and uh, we're hoping early in the spring of 2020 we'll be traveling, and we're talking about the fact that uh, we, when we go over there, it's for two weeks, and immediately I was like, 
how am I going to pack enough for two weeks, right? Like, I hope there's a laundry there, right? And I know that there's some people that are going to be able to help us out with this, but I am a classic overpacker. Anybody else? Especially during the time of year. Boy, there's not very many of you. Either that or you're all liars. I mean, even in, especially in the time of year where you're in between seasons. You know what I mean? Like when it's like 70 during the day and 40 at night. It's like, I have no idea what to wear, so I'm just going to bring everything. Right? And like, so and I'm classic for this. I will bring things just in case and then I'll never wear them. I just have them just in case because I don't want to be without them. I'm worried about that. I'm a classic overpacker. Um, there's a lot of people that have a problem with this idea of running out, not having enough, though. Um, oh, here's a good one. Thanksgiving's coming up. Uh, I won't sell them out because this goes publicly. There's people that I know that, are, that worry about not having enough food when people come to their house. And so they're classic overbuyers or overpreparers. I mean, you may have 15 people coming and you have enough food for 40, right? Like you're worried about enough. That's one of the things you worry about. Some of you know who it is, and if don't look to your left or your right, or you will get in trouble and you can't blame it on me. Um, other things that people do. Uh, some of us worry about not having enough insurance. Yeah, do you know that life insurance salesmen and, and, and insurance salesmen, sorry if you are one, by the way, but they count on this. They count on like making sure that you have anxiety about having enough so that they can sell you more. That's the whole point of, of selling insurance. Well, it's not really, but I sometimes think it is. But we always are worried about this enough. Most of us have this. It's just something that uh, is called, actually, if you've never heard of it, it's called scarcity anxiety. Scarcity anxiety is this idea of ha- being worried, having an anxiety about running out or not having enough, and it makes us do illogical things. On a serious note, when it comes to uh, kids or it comes to animals that at one point in their lives starved, the scarcity anxiety comes out with them where they're, they'll hoard stuff, like, they, like food, even though they have access to food, it's been shown that they'll actually take things or hoard things because they at one point in their life didn't have enough and they live with this issue of being worried about not having enough again, scarcity anxiety. People that went through the depression, some of the people went through the depression, some of you, people, some, some of you know these people, uh, because they went through that experience, they're very classic hoarders. And some of you have had family members who have gone to heaven and left you with all of their gifts from that. Yeah? Can I get an amen? Yeah, right. So this scarcity anxiety, this worry about not having enough, and it sometimes can make us do illogical things. It can make us do things that were never were supposed to happen because we've, went, we've gone without. We buy too much insurance, we pack too much, we buy too much food, we do all kinds of things. And it's an interesting thing. Scarcity and anxiety runs within the church, too, and in our faith. And at that point, sometimes, is where it gets dangerous. Let me explain what I mean. When I see this within the church, I see it in two ways. First of all, sometimes our scarcity and anxiety is we don't accept that the grace of Jesus is enough. And so we have to add things to it. I've seen that before. I've seen that um, it's our human nature to have this. So believe it or not, I've been in churches where we've put emphasis on the wrong things because of this. We've said things like, you know what, you've been saved by grace through faith. You cannot go to heaven without Jesus, but you also can't watch movies. But you have to dress a certain way when you come to church on Sunday. 
but you have to do this or you cannot do that. Some churches, not our church or nobody in our church, but other churches someplace else, they actually will take things in the Bible and they'll twist the word of God to add things on to the simplicity of grace just because they want to make sure that, yeah, you worship Jesus, yeah, you put your faith in Jesus, but you have to do this too. You ever grow up in a church like that? Ever heard of a church like that? No, nobody's ever heard of anything like that. Though some churches actually will take their own philosophies or their own, own ways of looking at how to follow Jesus and they'll make it as important as salvation through grace, by grace through faith. And they'll add to faith and then they'll put that on top and they'll say things like you can't listen to rock music and you can't have a tattoo and all of these other things, right? I, I grew up within this culture where things, people added things to it. You know, having Jesus wasn't enough. We had to add all these things to it. Some of you are in the room right now, and you've been hurt by these type of Christians through the years. Another way that I see this happen is not only adding things to the simplicity of grace, but some people, through their scarcity and anxiety, believe that they always have to have more than that simplicity, and they always live with an anxiety about assurance. They're always worried that any moment God is going to take salvation from them. They're not sure. You, you walk up to them and you say, well, you know, they're, they're dealing with a struggle. They're dealing with an illness. And I've, I've, I've ministered to people in this situation. I say, well, are you good with Jesus? Have you given your life to him? And, and they're like, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And they live with this anxiety, this constant worry over and over again about whether or not their simple faith in Jesus is enough. I've seen it happen. Maybe it's happened to you. I think it's a normal thing to happen. I think it's a normal thing for people to experience when it comes to faith. And I think it's one of the reasons why Paul had to address it in Colossians. In Colossians 2. So I'm going to ask you to turn there with me this morning. Colossians 2, starting at verse 6. We're going to specifically talk about, now that we've put Jesus first in our lives, how does this work out in our day-to-day life? How do we not experience scarcity, anxiety, but we actually start to experience the freedom that we have in Christ. And today we're going to look at one of the ways in which Paul wants us to see this in this letter to the church in Colossae, starting in verse 6. Starting in verse 6, Paul writes this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. I want us to understand that this right now is, this verse is the pivot of this entire letter. Everything leading up to this verse and everything after this verse, this is the hinge. The very beginning of this verse, as he's talking about Jesus is enough, as he's saying that Jesus is first, then he says, therefore, as you receive this truth, now you have to walk in it. And then the second half of this, cha- of this book, the second half of this letter, he is going to give us the way in which we do that. Probably a better translation of so walk in him or an easier understanding translation of that would be just to live your life in him. Now that you've received him in your life as Lord, now you've got to live your life in him. You've got to live this out in your day-to-day life. I mean, that's what we hope. That's what you all hope that I do on a regular basis, which is as I help you see how we live this out in our life on a day-to-day basis. And if I don't, you know, then I'm probably not doing a great job. But this word, so walk in him, is the word peripateo. Peripateo in Greek. It's where we get the word perpetual. It means daily over and over and over again, doing it perpetually. It doesn't mean that it's a one-time thing. I've shared this several times. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean it's the end of the journey. That actually means it's the beginning, right? 
And so as you realize that Jesus is enough, as you realize he has to be first in everything, now that you've received that, now that you've had that, you have to daily walk in him. Well, how does that look? Well, first he says, if you do that, if you, if you understand that, you have to be rooted and built up in him and be established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So if you continually live your life in him, it'll root you, it'll build you up, and you'll be established in your faith. You won't be swayed by philosophies. You won't be swayed by other theologies. You'll have Jesus as enough from the beginning, and you will be abounding in thanksgiving. And therefore, if you're not a Christian who's abounding in thanksgiving, maybe you aren't doing this well, because that's what he says is going to happen as he goes on. And then he goes on and he says this, because if you don't, this is what may happen. Verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See, if you're not living out this, living by him day in, day out, if you're not being rooted in him day in, day out, this could happen. You could be taken captive. And I shared over the past few weeks, this is a key part of this letter. Paul is concerned because the Colossian church is allowing other people, false teachers, to convince them Jesus isn't enough. And they have scarcity anxiety about their faith. So they're adding things to it, philosophies, and nobody knows what it is. Now, some scholars think that it's ancient Gnosticism, GN, Gnosticism. And you can look that up sometime if you want. We don't have enough time for me to go into that. But one of the things about Gnosticism is that in Gnosticism is this idea that you start at one place and there's a higher ascent. And you've got to go through all of these mini-gods before you get to the real God, right? So what they're adding on to this is an idea though it's not Christian, of works righteousness, of this idea of there's, there's, Jesus isn't enough, now you've got to build on to that to get to the place where you finally have enough. Now, other people think that it may be about Jewish, uh, Jewish influence. A lot of Jews are coming to Christ, and they're now telling the people in Colossae that, yeah, you know what, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is enough, but you know what, we still have to follow all these Jewish laws, we still have to do other things, circumcision and things like that. We have to do these things. And they were adding it, and they were confusing the Christians. This is very common. The whole letter to the church in Galatia, Galatians, the, chat, the book of Galatians, talks about the same thing, the Jewish influence. And one of the reasons why people think that is because this verb, takes you captive, is actually one word in the Greek. One word in the Greek, and it's the word syllagogon. Syllagogon. See that no one's syllagogon. And we don't pick that up as anything important because we have an English translation, but that sounds very similar to synagogue. And what Paul could be saying in here, and we don't get the turn of phrase because we don't see it in the Greek, is Paul could be saying, see that no one drags you back to the practices of the synagogue now that you're following Christ. And we'll actually see that play out as we go through this chapter a little bit more. In verses 18 to 23, which will come a little bit later, Paul actually tells them they shouldn't follow the Jewish law, which includes circumcision and eating and drinking on the right days and Jewish holidays. There's also some other things that are pretty interesting that we're about to see that this philosophy, people were telling people that the only way to follow Jesus, the only way to really follow him is to, uh, to deny themselves things deny themselves things ruthlessly, a practice called asceticism. You know, be intentionally starving, intentionally uh, in poverty, 
And Paul wants to talk them outside of that. Even verses, uh, verse 23 lets us know there may actually have been a, a belief that Jesus isn't enough and you need to do a practice of self-mutilation on a regular basis in order for you to follow him. Now you may think about that, you may think to yourself, well, that's just crazy, right? But what I've seen time and time again in churches, like I said before, is this scarcity anxiety slips into our faith, and rather than putting our faith in the simplicity of Jesus Christ being enough, we begin to add to it. And they don't want, Paul doesn't want them to do it, and he doesn't want us to do it. So he gives them a litmus test, a litmus test that we all need to have today. If anything that you hear, anything ever preached, anything ever read, tells you that it is a requirement for you to do something for your salvation other than follow Jesus and put him first in everything, that you better run for your life. That's what he tells him. He says this, For in him the whole fullness of deity bodily, or dwells bodily. That kind of goes back to last week. In Christ, the whole deity of God dwelt. And you have been filled in him who is the head and the ruler of all authority. Now, I'm not going to talk about this that much because we spent an entire week on it last week. But what Paul starts to do here is he starts to use these two words that really define what does it mean to walk continually in your life of following Jesus. It's the two words, in him. In him. And it's over and over and over again. Not only in this book, but a lot of Paul's writing. He says the idea of walking your life out with God means that you spend your life intentionally staying in him. In him. In him, you were circumcised with a circumcision without hands by putting off the body of the flesh and by the circumcision of Christ. Now listen, stick with me here. This is an extremely difficult passage. As a pastor, this is a difficult passage, okay? So it's very easy for you to kind of go on into what's going to happen next because this, this is so theologically heavy. But you understand what circumcision is. If you don't ask your wife or your mom later, okay? You're welcome, ladies. Um, or maybe your dad. Maybe it may be better for your dad. But this is, this is what Paul's saying. When Jesus was placed on the cross, he was placed, remember, he was God and man. And when he died in a way, in a spiritual way, that which was human, that which was fallen, that which was broken, that which would never be enough was cut away from him and it died forever. And when he rose again, a brand new being came. Now, he was still God, he was still man, but he was a resurrected, he was in his resurrected body because death, sin, brokenness was defeated at the cross. And what Paul says is that when you put your faith in Christ Jesus, the old you was cut away, was removed for good, and what experienced out of that was new life. And you are in him. You are in his new life. It's not that you did it on your own. It's because of him doing it for you on the cross. That's what he's saying, okay? When you were circumcised by the circumcision of Jesus, not with human hands, but by, the, but by putting off your flesh, putting off that which was broken, putting off that which was never going to be enough, and you were given the circumcision of Christ. And you know what picture we have for that, church? You know what the sign for that is that we have practicing within the church? 
Baptism. Baptism. Now, we don't see it that way, the same way we see circumcision, because let's get a little bit, little bit more detailed. Circumcision is permanent. You with me? Like, there's no going back. You can't put things back where they were. Do I need to go a little? No? Okay. But, but we don't, sometimes one of the reasons we add is because we don't doesn't understand that spiritually the same thing happened in our baptism. Spiritually, the same thing happened in our baptism. This is what he says as he goes on in verse 12. Having been buried with him, that's Jesus, in baptism, in, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power working of God who raised him from the dead. So you understand then that what he's saying is once for all, something happened when you put in faith in Christ and then you were baptized. When you went underneath the baptismal waters, your old you was washed away. The old person, the old flesh, the old habits. Of course now you could say, well, I don't necessarily feel like that every day. But listen, this is the key. Understanding that this is a spiritual truth is the key of how you walk in him. The old you was washed away, and when you came out of that water, the first breath that you took was with brand new lungs. Brand new lungs that weren't yours, they were you in him. And therefore, you have been changed forever. Therefore, if anyone is in him, in Christ, they are what? A new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Right? That's what he says in 2 Corinthians. So this is what happened in your baptism. And you were changed. It was permanent. It stayed. And you were able. And there's nothing you can do to add to it. It was a gift of God by faith. And he gave it to you. And in Christ, it became what was true of him became true of you. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, in you who would never be enough, who would never be able to earn it, who would never be able to deserve it, you, were, God made you alive together with him and forgave all of us our trespasses. You with me? Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. So something happened in Jesus. Something happened that is so key to us understanding that we do not need to add to our faith in Jesus. We need to understand that he's enough and it reason is, and the reason we can always look back to it is because the day we said yes to Christ and then we followed up with that, that, uh, that decision, that surrender to him by publicly doing a, an act of baptism that shows us that that was a moment in time in which you were changed forever and you were placed in him. And yes, is there fruit of that? Yes. Is there behavior change? Yes. But we still need to, run, we need to understand that that moment is about what Jesus did, not what you did. And in the moment you start to add what I do onto what Jesus did, you've moved into a place where the church in Colossae went rather than where Paul wants us to walk. You've moved into a place where you've stopped living your life in him and you've started to live your life going back to the ways of adding things to Jesus, being self-righteous, working on works righteousness. You with me? This is so key. I love the book of Colossians because it's just, we're getting down to the brass tacks of what it means to follow Jesus, Right? 
And Jesus canceled the record of debt. The year of Jubilee that was promised to Israel finally came about. Do you know that the Israelites, every, every seven years, every seven years they would have this time where they would release debts, they would relieve slaves, and then every seven, seventh time, 49, the very next year, the 50th year, they were supposed to set all, give all land back to people that lost it. They were supposed to release all captives from, from the, the time when they were under captivity. They were supposed to give back any debts. All debts were canceled, everything. It was all supposed to happen. Prisoners were supposed to be set free. All of these things were supposed to happen. That's what God wanted them to do. And you know what? He gave them that law, and you know how many times they practiced and lived out the year of Jubilee as Israelites? Zero. And then what did Jesus do? The Gospels tell us he walks into his hometown and they hand him the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, and he opens it up and he goes to Isaiah 61 and he says, the spirit of God is upon me. I have come to set captives free, to heal the sick, to heal the blind. I've come to do this. He was quoting from Isaiah a promise that the year of Jubilee would come, that all debts would be paid, that all sins would be forgiven, that all slaves would be set free. And what did he do? He set it up, he gave it back to the person, he sat down, and for whatever reason, however he read it, everybody was staring at him, right? Everybody was like, okay, something just happened there. And what did he say? Today, this has come true in your hearing because it's all about me. Every debt set free, every slave set free, all records canceled. Everything that was owed to us was put to an end in Jesus. So folks, why do we think we need to add to it as if anything we could do would make a difference? He goes on and he says this. He's disarmed the rulers and authorities. He's put them over shame by triumphing over them. Therefore, let no one pass judgment. Not even yourself. Someone needs to hear that this morning. Therefore, let no one pass judgment. Let no one look down on you. Let no one say that, yes, you're not enough and you don't deserve what Jesus has done for you. And then he starts attacking all of the things that were going on there. So we're going to kind of breeze through this, but questions of food or drink, regard of festivals or new moons or Sabbath, these are all the things that make us think about maybe it being a a Jewish uh, thing. And in verse 17, he says, all of these things, all of these things that the Jews had to do, they were a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Verse 17, what Paul's trying to say is this, all of the Jewish rules, all of the things that God gave to the people to keep them in right relationship with him would only be temporary. Because you know what? You'd give a sin offering and you'd be forgiven from your sin. Your relationship with God would be restored, and then you would sin again. It wasn't once for all. They were just a shadow of an object that were given to us to be in relationship for a time, but in Jesus, that solid object came to be. He is the substance who cast the shadow. He is the only one. So let no one pass judgment. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on all of these things, asceticism, worship of angels, going in detail about visions, being pumped up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. Once again, not holding fast to Jesus. 
Because if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings? Once again, for time, I'm flying through this, but I want us to see this. This is the question we have to ask ourselves each and every time that we start to convince ourselves that Jesus needs added to. Why, if the old you died? Why, if the old you that could never do it again on their own? Why, if the old you that continues to creep up and cause you to recognize you're never enough? Why, if the old you died once and for all, do you think that you have to do something to earn the new you? Why do you think that? Why? Why do you do these things? If Christ, you died, and it was permanent, and that you, at the, on the cross, you were nailed, and in the tomb, when he was raised to life, you were a new creation, why would you go back to a place where you lived with scarcity anxiety? Why would you do that? Why, would, why do we do that? I don't know why I do it sometimes. It's because I forget this simple truth, that Jesus is enough. And this is why I think, and I think he touches on it perfectly in verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, promoting self-made religion. They have the appearance of wisdom. I bought it hook, line, and sinker the first time somebody said to me, yeah, you know what? Following Jesus, giving your life to him, yeah, that saves you. But you're not really saved unless you fill in the blank. I remember, I was like, what? That's right. And this message scares people. I've preached this message before, and people get nervous because people will come up to me. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't after I say this. But people have come up to me and said, listen, it's not that simple. What about this? You can't just tell people Jesus is enough. They'll never act right. They'll never do the right things. Guess what? They will. Because when he, when, he, when, he, when he comes in your life and the Holy Spirit enters you and indwells in your heart, he starts to change you from the inside out. And so I don't have to worry about your behavior because guess what? Your behavior is a fruit of the Spirit. And if you've died to yourself in Christ and you're alive in him each and every day, you begin to look more like him. But you know what? We start to convince ourselves. We get down on ourselves. We beat ourselves up. We feel guilty. We add things. Some of us are self-righteous where we look at other people that are baby Christians and we call them baby Christians. Guess what, folks? There's no such thing as a baby Christian. All of us have the propensity to sin in a moment's notice, and all of us have the propensity to live in the fullness of what Jesus did for us in a moment's notice, and it doesn't have to do with how long you've on the track, been on the track because that idea says that there's there is a growth that is up to us when it isn't. It actually is all about him. It's all about him. And yes, does behavior make a difference? Do we change? Do we grow? Hopefully. But the idea is that we perpetually walk in him, placing him first, relying on his righteousness, not our own. If we add to him, folks, then we become self-righteous or we become navel gazers, which I've talked about before. And we always work in a place where we realize it's not enough. And they have the appearance It has appearance of wisdom. But as he says at the end here, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We've all tried it. We've all done it. We've all lived a life where we've believed 
or we've, we've been convinced, whether it's in our hearts or our heads or by someone, that Jesus and the following of Jesus isn't enough. So we have to start doing all of these things. We have to start worrying about all of our behaviors. We have to worry about acting right, listening to the right music, doing all the right things. And allowing the, rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to do it, we start to fall into the gospel of sin management because it has an appearance of wisdom. And when, what we end up doing is we end up, being, we end up going to a place where we realize down the road that all of that work, all of that management has no value in stopping us acting like the old person. It just makes us frustrated, makes us feel guilty. It robs us from the freedom of grace that we have in Jesus. It was a permanent moment. It was a time in your life. If you've never had that time, I would invite you today to receive that, where you realize you'll never be enough. And you said yes to Jesus. And what Paul says is in that moment, and then your public profession of that in your baptism was a picture for you to understand that the old you went away, not because of you, but because of what he did. His enough is enough. His enough is enough. Now, I'm running out of time, but I'm, can, I, can I show you one more thing? Can I show you one more thing? All right. This is a picture. This is my lame attempt to try to explain this to you but I think this will make sense to you. See, some of us think about this life. Remember he says, just as you've received Christ, be rooted in him and walk in him. Some of us think about our Christian life, our growth in grace like this. We've received Jesus as Lord, and at one point or another, in the very beginning of that time, it was like 99.9% Jesus, right? Or maybe it was even 100% Jesus, because boy, did I need his grace. If you would have known me the day that I met Jesus, no one would have argued. Boy, did I need his grace, right? But as I go along in my life, you know what? I get a little bit better. I get a little bit better. So when I'm like halfway up this graph, like I only need 50% grace, because 50% of me is pretty good. In fact, now I can look back at the people in the beginning and say, man, Baby Christians, they don't have 50% of their life right. They only need, I, I only need 50% Jesus' grace. They need 100 still. Oh, they'll get there. They'll get there. This is what some of us see it as, right? We begin to believe that our growth in grace, our growth in him at work in our heart, we begin to convince ourselves that as we grow, we actually need less of him. Now, functionally, you may have never thought of it this way, but I will tell you, there's a lot of us that act this way. There's a lot of us that have been given to believe this. And a lot of us, the reason why we think there's a growth is because of all the things that we've added to Jesus. And one way or another, we've convinced ourselves that all of that growth that we've had in him had something to do with us. Right? You're with me. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks this way sometimes. And I, I contend that, what Paul's telling us is that our growth in grace is actually this. In the beginning, it's more me than it is Jesus. In fact, maybe it's even just 1% Jesus, but 1% of Jesus is more than enough to save me. A drop of the blood from the cross washed away every sin, took away every bad thing that I ever did. And actually, my life, my growth 
My living into what he's talking about looks more like day after day, me dying to myself. Day after day as I live into that perpetual walking in him where I realize that the old skin that was torn away so that the new me would come, the old me that died so that the new me could rise, the old me needs to go away. Every song we sang today was about that. The Holy Spirit was working in the team as they were picking songs. I surrender all, I surrender all. Each and every day as I wake up, I have to say, you know what? Jesus is the goal. All of Jesus is the goal. So today it requires me to die completely to me so that all of him can break in. And our life doesn't look like I'm growing better and I'm looking more like Jesus and it's all about me and I need less of him to work in my life. No, it actually looks like it was all about him from the beginning and each and every day I die more so more of him can live in me. And that is what the life of faith looks like. And Christians that understand that it actually is a life of death so that Jesus can live are Christians that are poised to hunger and seek after more of him every single day. Christians that understand this are Christians that are poised to reach non-Christians because we understand that our righteousness is but filthy rags as if it was not for his overwhelming grace in our life. And we understand that for Jesus to come alive in me, it requires the death of me. You with me? This is what I think Paul's saying. This picture, it says, his enough's enough. Whether it's 1% of him, it's enough. But my hope is that, as John the Baptist said, that as I die, as, as I become less, that he becomes more. And so when I read this passage, this focal passage that Paul's going to help us work out the rest of this from this on, the rest of the series from this on point out, it's understanding that as we receive Christ Jesus, we're to walk it out in him. We're supposed to live our lives in him, and we'll be rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as we were taught. And this walk looks like daily remembering that the call to follow Jesus is the call to die. He actually said, if anyone would come after me, right? What do I have to do? Pick up their cross daily and follow me. Less of him or less of me, more of him. We don't add to Jesus to grow in our faith. We die to who we are outside of him so that he can grow more in us. This truth took a lot, long time for me. I'm still learning. But this truth has let me see that for me to look more like Jesus, it actually has to do with less of this guy. And then I just run after him day in and day out. I run after him and I seek him knowing that he is the only way I'll ever be enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we ask that you would help us this week live into this truth. That the moment in which we said yes to you, we died. And all of you came into us.
Lord, don't allow us to take your grace and abuse it by adding things to it. Don't allow us to add restrictions or add yeah buts. Lord, help us understand that your call to us is that we would grow in our grace, in your grace by dying more each and every day and that returning to that moment where the old man was dead and the new man rose is a daily walk in our lives. Lord, let us go to worship you with that in mind. Let's, let us go to our, the, your word each and every day with that in mind. Let us be a community where we speak into one another's lives when we start to believe the lies and say to one another, no, you are in Christ. You are a new creation. Walk in him, walk in him. Let's be an encouraging community. And Lord, as we engage those that don't know you, help us engage them, not looking down our noses at them because they're not in Christ, but recognizing that all of we, all that we have is available to them if they would just surrender to him. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for an empty tomb. We thank you for new life in you. In Jesus' name.
Thanks for hanging with me today. I think that this is one section of Paul's writing where Peter said that Paul writes some things that are kind of confusing sometimes he was talking about. But I hope you walk away understanding his enough's enough. His enough is enough. And our life of walking in him, living our lives in him is about daily saying, you know what? I need more of him and less of me. I need more of him and less of me. And verse 7 tells us that when we get that and we start to walk that out, that we'll be abounding in thanksgiving. Think about that. How would this world change if those who follow Jesus walked around abounding in thanksgiving? How would your workplace change, your school change, if you were known as the person who was abounding with thanksgiving? How many people that live in a world that seems pretty hopeless sometimes would be coming to you asking you why if you were abounding in thanksgiving? His enough is enough. It is. Hopefully you can share that with somebody this week and uh, bring somebody back with you next week. This is good news. God bless you all. We'll see you next week.